Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to the Highway Community Podcast for Sunday, November 20th, 2022. Thank you so much for listening. Today, we are concluding our teaching series entitled Ears to Hear, where we have been exploring together Jesus's messages to the seven churches in Asia from the book of Revelation and seeking to listen to the prophetic and pastoral words that we need to hear as the church today. And so far in our series, we've heard Jesus's call for his church to love from his message to the church at Ephesus, his call for the church to suffer from his message to the church at Smyrna. We've heard the call to truth from his message to the church at Pergamum, the call to holiness from his message to the church at Thyatira, the call to authenticity from his message to the church at Sardis, and the call to mission from his message to the church at Philadelphia. And this morning, as we look together at what is perhaps the most well-known and familiar of Jesus's messages to the churches, uh, the message to the church at Laodicea, we're going to consider Jesus's call to dependence. Laodicea was a very wealthy city. It was built as a fortress situated at the convergence of three major roads, and its affluence was due to its economy. And one of the foundations of that economy was banking. Laodicea was the center of banking for Asia Minor. And to give you an idea of just how wealthy the city was, last week we talked about the earthquake that nearly destroyed the city of Philadelphia in the year 17 CE, and how the Roman Empire financed the city's rebuild, which led to a new name for the city and a devotion to the worship of Caesar. Well, in the year 60 CE, Laodicea suffered damage from a severe earthquake as well. But unlike Philadelphia, Laodicea was able to finance its own rebuilding effort, wholly independent of help from the Roman Empire. So that gives us some idea of the depths of the resources that were available in the city. Well, in addition to being the banking center of Asia Minor, Laodicea was also famous for manufacturing a black woolen cloth that was used for making clothing and carpets. And the fine and expensive products that were made from this cloth and then exported all over the world also helped to drive Laodicea's economy. And then Laodicea was also known for its medical school, which was especially famous for producing an eye salve that was believed to heal eyes that were weak or failing. And so Laodicea was was a very affluent city whose economy was driven by banking, clothing exports, and its medical school. Now, as for the church at Laodicea, it's been speculated that it was most likely founded on Paul's third missionary journey during the time that he spent at Ephesus. Now, we don't have any evidence that Paul ever visited the church at Laodicea, but there is a reference uh, at the end of his letter to the Colossians to a letter that he had sent to the Laodiceans that he wanted the Colossians to read. And so Paul had apparently written a letter to the Laodicean church uh, that has since been lost. So that's a bit of the background as we come to Jesus's words to the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3. And if you have a Bible accessible to you, uh, either physically or digitally, 
and you'd like to join me in the scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to Revelation chapter 3, which is our text for this morning. Let's look together now at Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Last week, we noted that the church at Philadelphia, like the church at Smyrna, was unique in that Jesus offered them no words of correction. But notice, as we listen to Jesus' words to the church at Laodicea, that the opposite is true. At this time, Jesus has no words of affirmation, only words of of correction. And those words of correction are are centered around an image that has captured the imagination of the church for generations. I know your deeds, Jesus says in verse 15, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. That image of Jesus of spitting out the lukewarm water that this church represents is just so graphic and and visceral and arresting. And it's an image uh, that has commonly been associated with indifference, where instead of being hot in the sense of having an active and fervent and vibrant and engaged faith, or being cold in the sense of having an inactive and apathetic and listless and disengaged faith, that the Laodiceans were somehow in the middle, right? Suggesting that they were a church that was wishy-washy. And that Jesus is saying, in effect, that it's better to be either totally on or totally off than it is to be in the middle. But as New Testament scholar Michael Gorman notes, lukewarmness is actually not an ancient metaphor for indifference. And so the text is is actually not presenting a spectrum here with with two extremes, right? Hot being for Jesus and cold being against Jesus and lukewarm being the wishy-washy middle. And instead, what's what's being presented are two opposite points, 
And the first of those opposite points is, is illustrated by two images, the images of hot water and cold water, right? both of which are beneficial and pleasing to taste. You know, it's interesting, uh, Laodicea was, was one of three famous cities uh, that were clustered about 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia in the Lycus River Valley. North of the river was Hierapolis, and on the southern bank were Laodicea and Colossa. Hierapolis was famous for its hot medicinal waters, and Colossa was famous for its cool mineral springs. But, you know, for all of Laodicea's prosperity, right, for all of the wealth that existed in the city and all of the affluence, one of the challenges that the city faced was with its water supply which came from springs that were located six miles to the south, which was unideal on a number of fronts. Maybe the most significant of which was that by the time that the water made it through the maze of clay pipes, it was warm and less than desirable. Furthermore, lukewarm water was used in the ancient world to induce vomiting. So another reason why it was not desirable. And so lukewarm water actually sits in contrast to, right, not in the middle of, the hot and cold water. Right? The lukewarm water is the water that is neither beneficial nor pleasing to the taste. Right? It's, it's water that is totally unpalatable and unsavory. And in verse 17, Jesus reveals why the church has become so off-putting as to be lukewarm. Revelation 3, 17, Jesus says, You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, we've noted in our series that the churches that Jesus addresses here in Revelation were primarily confronting various kinds of persecution uh, and, and the very strong temptation to accommodate themselves to the surrounding culture. And there's a spectrum within the churches, right, from those that were facing persecution for not accommodating themselves to those that were highly accommodating uh, by participating in imperial worship and or supporting the political and social status quo and, and by doing those things, uh, avoiding persecution as a result. And Jesus reveals there in verse 17 uh, that the reason that the church at Laodicea had become so repulsive uh, is, is not because they're in the middle in terms of the fervency of their faith. No, it's because of how much they had accommodated themselves to the surrounding culture. And it's because they were embracing the status quo and the lifestyle of the elite and powerful. Right, to the extent that they had become so rich and so prosperous and so affluent that they thought that they did not need a thing. Right, they had become so wealthy that they had become self-sufficient right, and unaware, totally unaware, that in reality they were wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Well, up to this point, you know, Jesus' harshest words have been for the heretics and the evildoers and the persecutors who were impeding or frustrating the ministry of the churches. You know, people like uh, the Nicolaitans and the prophet Jezebel, 
and, and the Jewish community from Philadelphia's synagogue of Satan. Right? But here, very differently, Jesus's condemnation is for the church itself. Right? His words of correction are for the church itself. He's calling out his own followers. Right? And so when Jesus says in, in verse 20 of Revelation 3, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Right? He is not imploring people who don't know him to answer the door. Right? Jesus is knocking at the door of the church, right? inviting the church to let him back in, right? which feels, I think, especially arresting in its context. You know, it takes me back, actually, to that cartoon that we looked at together at the very beginning of the series that, that depicted Jesus in marriage counseling with the church, uh, the Bride of Christ, right? And the church is, is sitting there on the love seat next to Jesus in the counselor's office saying that they hardly have anything in common anymore with Jesus, right? And this verse from Revelation 3, if you will, is, is, is kind of like the other side of that cartoon, right? Here's Jesus outside of his church, uh, longing to get into it because it no longer depends on him. And Jesus says here in Revelation 3 that, that what the church needs as a result of all of this is a complete makeover. He says in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And despite the fact that, that Jesus's messages uh, are very much addressed to specific church communities in a very specific time and place, it's been pretty amazing to see how many similarities there are between this ancient text from Revelation and, and both the world that we live in and the state of the church today. And Jesus' message to the church at Laodicea here, I think, feels especially contemporary and relevant. And, you know, while there's certainly a sermon uh, or 12 in here about effluence and the inextricable link between wealth and self-sufficiency and spiritual apathy, and how all of that manifests itself in the church, as we seek to hear Jesus' words for the church, uh, this morning I want to zoom out a bit and take a bit of a broader look at, at cultural accommodation in the church in America. And I mentioned at the beginning of the series that this is an interesting time for the church in America right now. Right? The church is in a real time of reckoning, uh, in part as a result of the way that the pandemic turned everything upside down, but also as a result of the last 30 to 40 years of evangelical church history, right? which are beginning to be looked at retrospectively as a period uh, in and of themselves of modern church history. And as we consider all of that, you know, I can't help but think that, that if Jesus were addressing the church in America today, uh, his message uh, would likely be very much the same as his message to the church at Laodicea, right? That we are, that we are lukewarm, right? Because there are so many ways right, that we have accommodated in order to mirror the surrounding culture as opposed to mirroring the way of Jesus and his kingdom. Well, there's, there's the accommodation 
uh, to political power, right? Where the church has anointed politicians through the years, you know, most notably presidents and or presidential candidates in an effort to exert influence through political and legislative avenues for causes that more often have had more to do with persevering or protecting cultural values than they have promoting the values of the kingdom of God. The church has accommodated itself to consumer culture. And, you know, while there are all kinds of ways that the church has done this programmatically, right, in an, in an effort to attract people to church, probably the most egregious accommodation to consumerism has been seen in the way the church has just made the cost of following Jesus small and the sacrifice is minimal, you know, lest it interfere with or impede the demands of work, school, activities, and our social lives. Uh, the church is accommodated to celebrity culture, right? Celebrating and raising up celebrity pastors, musicians, authors, right? Many of whom influence from a detached church-adjacent place, right? But they've been elevated because national carries more significance culturally than local, the church is accommodated to cultural success models, right? idolizing the metrics of size and numbers. And one of the things that, that invariably comes up in conversations uh, when people learn that I'm a pastor right, is the question, how large is your church? Or how many people go to your church? And, you know, while I definitely believe that the intent of that question is not negative, it nevertheless does express a value and, and, and reinforces a measure of success. And then we've also accommodated to cultural structures as well, right? Organizing churches and structuring churches like businesses, fashioning pastors into CEOs and ministries into business units. So, you know, I want to say that, that as a pastor, uh, I find myself in a very complicated space this morning because I have been a part, I've been part and parcel to many of these accommodations over the course of my years in ministry. So, so I just want to be clear that as I share these things, uh, I am not doing it as a self-righteous outsider, uh, but rather as an insider uh, and, and, and very much with a posture of humility. Because I do believe that this reckoning that the church is undergoing is good, uh, and I believe that it's necessary. Jesus says in verse 19 of Revelation 3 to the church at Laodicea, he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. But those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Right? That, that's such a huge reorientation, right? And such a great reminder. Jesus' words of discipline come from love. Right? And, so, and so hearing these things is good. Right? Jesus' words of correction come from love. And they, and they come from his desire to be present with his church. Right? What does he say in verse 20? Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus invites us in the very same way that he invites the church at Laodicea. He invites us to depend on him. 
right? He calls us as his church to dependence. Jesus calls his church to dependence. And that image of of him coming in and, and eating with us from verse 20 reminds us of that in a really rich way. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Right? Jesus is the bread of life. He is the basic, fundamentally sustaining thing upon which we are depend, are to depend. Which, of course, you know, is precisely why he teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, right? It's so that we are aware of our daily need, our daily need to depend on him alone so that we are shaped by him and his command for us to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I believe that God has his church, uh, highway, uh, and his church at large, in a place where we can indeed be refined to more fully live into the way of Jesus. And so may we respond to Jesus's call to dependence. And may we hear Jesus's voice. May we open the door. And may the person of Jesus and the presence of his kingdom be seen in us and through us as we dine with him. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Would you pray with me? Father, One, once again, we are grateful for the gift of your word this morning, for the gift of these ancient texts that, while they were not written to us directly, uh, were definitely written for us in some ways that are very deeply and profoundly eye-opening and convicting. And Father, we recognize today as we consider the church at Laodicea, all of the different ways that it so significantly mirrors so much of our struggle as the church today. And God, we ask this morning humbly for your forgiveness, for the ways that we have accommodated ourselves, for all of the different ways that we look more like our surrounding culture than we do your kingdom. But we're grateful, Father, that you nevertheless desire to be present with us. That despite our shortcomings, despite our best efforts, despite our failures, despite all the things in between, you continue to stand at the door and knock. You continue to desire to be present with us and you continue to open yourself to us and, and, and want us to depend on you. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us courage to do that, that you would give us courage to depend on you and not to depend on cultural measures of success or on politics or on successfully attracting consumers, any of the things, Father, that 
push us in our reflections of self-sufficiency, God, but would you be teaching us to depend on you in all things as our bread? Uh, That the person of Jesus, your son, would be our fundamental sustenance. And God, that as we press into that, uh, that as a church, we would reflect the character and nature of Jesus and the character and nature of your kingdom in the places that you have sent us. And would you help us to see ourselves well? Would you help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and help us to fix our eyes on your kingdom? We love you and we thank you. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.